Well, welcome everybody. If you don't know who I am, my name is Brad Starr and I am our creative arts pastor and I'm up here because Jeff is on vacation today. So he entrusted me to be a little him. So I was here setting up flags and doing all the things that Jeff would normally do. Um, sorry, it's cold. The heat just, just takes a while to get it going. So, you know, we tried, but sorry about that. Um, I'm continuing to speak in this series called The Table today. And obviously we have this, this table sitting over here with this um, flower arrangement. And the idea is as we approach Easter, how do we look at our faith in the lens of it being a table? Okay, This idea of gathering, this idea of bringing people to it. Okay, Now when, when I think of a table... I think of one thing and one thing only. If you can't already tell, I think instantly of food, right? Amen, right? So food, I think, is something that we're all passionate about. So I was going to do something outside the box today. What are some of y'all favorite places to go eat food at? Does anyone want to just kind of throw that out? Where's your favorite place to eat food? It can maybe be your own kitchen. But what's... Twisted. Okay, so burgers and sushi. What's your favorite thing there? Sweet baby rays. Is that a sushi? Really? Is there, What does it have in it? I'm so intrigued by this right now. It's insanities in it? <laughs> All right, there we go. I'm just going to have to try it, I guess, right? What else? Who else? What are some of your favorite places to eat? Rockneys. What's your favorite piece of Rockneys? Philly cheesesteak. Is that the Terminator? Or is that a separate thing? Okay, okay, okay. Anyone else? Favorite places to eat? Come on now. What? Don Tequila. I thought all I heard was tequila, and I was like, all right. <laughs> what is your favorite thing at Don Tequila's? What was that? Okay, so chicken with cream. Yeah, okay. Yeah, look at my Spanish. Okay, okay. Um, anyone else? Just, you know, speak before you ever have your piece. Dad? Tomaso's. all right. Have you guys ever heard of Tomaso's? Tomaso's is a little Italian place on Cleveland Masson Road. It's in Barberton. Um, it's the corner of Norton and Barberton, like right on that line. We get it every week. Um, normally on Thursday nights, we order pizza and we order salad from Tomaso's. And how long have you guys been going to Tomaso's for? Since 74. Okay, so we like walk in there and they're like, hello, Starns. Like they just instantly know who we are, which is just a really cool thing um, for me. Sorry, the Starns just monopolized this question here at the end of it. Um, my favorite restaurant is this place called the Kona Cafe. It's at Disney World. Go figure. If you know nothing about me, you know how much I love Disney World and going there. That's my place to escape to. But I go there for breakfast. And they have this stuff called Tonga Toast, which is basically deep fried sourdough bread crusted with cinnamon and sugar with bananas in it. And then you pour this like strawberry compote and maple syrup on it. Oh, just so good. So, so good. But I think food is one of the things that we just love. And there's something about food that just makes it invitational. So my first point today is that food brings people together. Right? So as we talk about this table and we talk about things such as food, food is something that just unites people. It just brings us together. 
Food is a gathering idea. Now, anytime I plan anything socially, my first question is, we could be going to a concert, we could be going to a Cavs game, we could be going to a Guardians game, a Browns game, or you could be going to see a movie, whatever. You know what the first question is? Where are we going to eat, right? Because it's just this idea of something social that just gathers people together, right? We love sitting around the table with other people and just eating good things. Now, the cool thing about scripture and the, the even cooler thing about Jesus is that this is something that has existed forever. The fact that we love to eat together and eat food around the table has not changed. In scripture, we see tons of time where people are gathering around the table and eating. So where I want to start today, everybody, is if you got to have your Bibles, if you have your phones, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today, and we're going to be talking about Jesus calling Matthew into ministry and to follow him. So Jesus, obviously, in Matthew chapter 9, this is the beginning of his ministry life, and he's going around, he's gathering up his disciples. And one of the first disciples we see him gather in scripture is Matthew. Matthew, of course, being the author of the book Matthew. All right? And we're going to start here in verse 9. So Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. All right? So I always, this always catches me as very funny. Like he just kind of walks by Matthew sitting at a, at a tax collector's booth because Matthew was a tax collector. And he just goes, follow me. And he goes, oh, okay. Like, I, I love finding humor in scripture. And just Matthew just goes up, stands up, and follows him. Now, I want to talk about Matthew a little bit. And I think as we understand Matthew, we can understand why he went, okay, and just kind of follows after Jesus. Number one, Matthew, as we see here, Matthew was a tax collector, all right? So his job, his profession, was he collected taxes for the Roman government, okay? So basically, in the context of this time in Jerusalem, in, in this area with the Roman government kind of in charge and everyone else kind of serving them, tax collectors would have been sellouts, Okay? They were Jewish people working for the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire did not pay them, all right? So any money they made had to be what they charged extra over and above the taxes you, that you would have to give to Rome. So imagine in our context today, we do our taxes every year, right? Or, or maybe we pay taxes on each of our paychecks. Or we go to the store and we pay tax on what we buy. It would be like another guy, before we could leave the store, before we could get our paycheck, before we could file our taxes, there would be another guy standing there going, you can only do that through me, and you got to pay me a little bit extra, because I need to work, okay? So, the Jewish people loathed tax collectors. They were sellouts. They were sellouts to the man, all right? They were working on the other side of the line, and they would have been reviled by the Jewish people. So already Matthew, kind of, a, kind of a shady character. Now, the reason why Matthew would have been a tax collector is because of a past, I don't know if I want to call it a failure, but a past um, missed opportunity in his life. You see, every, 
Jewish child, every Jewish male especially, was required to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Okay, the Pentateuch, they call it. And they would have to do this as young men because the hopes was that in one day they would be chosen to be a scholar, a scribe, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a religious leader, and that they might take up that profession as that was considered to be the best profession there was to have. All right? So Matthew... He is a tax collector because he didn't make the cut to be one of those things. He didn't make the cut to make it into the inner group of that Jewish leadership. That was why they had to do all the memorization. That's, you know, we have like bak mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs, okay, the coming of age. That would have been around the time that they would have been tested on what they knew and then move on into that system. Okay, does that make sense? Um, so Matthew would have failed to be taken as a disciple to a rabbi, okay? So think about these two things. We have Matthew. He's a reviled career, right? He's working for the other side of the line here. And he would have been a failure because he was not taken as a disciple of a Jewish teacher or a Jewish leader. So paint that context back on what we just read. Matthew jumps up because this is his ticket out of being reviled by his job, and it's a second opportunity to be taken as a disciple by a teacher, okay? Because Jesus didn't just appear. Jesus had been living here for 30 years, right? He would be known. He was seen in the synagogue studying and studying scripture, and he would have had somewhat of a reputation. So for Jesus to come along and say, follow me, wasn't just like, hey, walk behind me, right? Like, my, be my little duckling and just walk behind. It was this idea of come and be my disciple. Let me lead you in this deeper thing, okay? So Jesus does two things here I want us to keep track of, and we're going to use those later. Number one, Jesus asks a despised person to be seen with him, okay? He asks a despised person to be seen with him, a tax collector, someone who everyone would have despised and reviled. And two, Jesus asked someone rejected to be his disciple. Okay? Those are the two things we need to know about Matthew that we're going to kind of hang on to as we move forward here. So here's where food enters in. You're probably like, Brad, what happened to the food thing? We're getting into the deep Jewish stuff about Matthew. All right, we're back to the food. We're coming back around. Let's continue in Matthew 9, starting in verse 10. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not healthy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Okay? And so the reason why Jesus says this is because it directly applies to the very reason he calls Matthew, Right? I'm not here. I didn't go to the place where all the Jewish leaders were and grab 12 disciples from there. I went and grabbed the tax collector. I went and grabbed a bunch of nasty, smelly fishermen. I went and grabbed um, some of the disciples were basically like uh, revolutionaries. They would sneak in the crowds and assassinate people with a sword hidden up their sleeve. So he goes and he gets these revolutionists. Like those are who become his disciples. And he says, I'm here on hearing this. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
So in this section of scripture, we actually see Jesus double down on his example. First with Matthew, and second with Matthew's friends. So the very same things we could say about Matthew, Jesus is trying to redo with Matthew's friends as they're eating in this house. He's around despised people. He's around rejected people. All right? You see, Jesus understood the power of an invitation. Like, I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus goes to Matthew's house and, and has him invite all his friends, right? Jesus, 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 God with flesh on, <laughs> like, like 100% man, 100% God going, all right, let's bring these people in because I got to tell them about who I am and I got to show them what it looks like to know God. And so he puts himself in these places. He puts himself in these places where he can invite people to the table. So what are we supposed to understand from all this? Okay, Because obviously, in this scripture that we just read, the Pharisees didn't, right? Because their first inclination is, whoa, 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 Jesus teacher guy. Why are you at this table with all these sinners, these tax collectors, these sinners? Why are you here? And Jesus says, well, I understand that you guys already know the truth. And so I'm here at this table to share truth with people who don't know it, right? And obviously, that's a theme of Jesus' ministry, right? He was always trying to constantly educate and shine a light into these darkened worlds, whether they're prostitutes, whether they're tax collectors, whether they're lepers, right? He would go into the outcasts of society and try to share influence, okay? So let's, let's again, focus on this table over here. And let's think about this being, you know, our table, whether it's in our home or whether it's at Thomas's or Rockney's or um, Twisted, right? Like, who are the people that need to be around this table with us? Who needs to be invited to this place? Do you guys have any thoughts? I'm going to get you guys in part here. Who should, we be, who should be around this table? What's that? The rejected. The rejected. What else? What's that? The sick. Yes. Who else? Friends. People that don't believe. Amen. Yes. Who else? <laughs> I think you guys are getting my point here. Us. You know? Like so often we make our tables exclusive. We make our tables look exactly like just us, you know? We don't have different people join us. We don't have people that look different join us. So this very question, the same question I asked you was asked of Jesus. In Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay? And so a lot of his wording there is about these people that's, that are crippled, that are sick, right? And obviously, I think he's talking about physical things, but I think he's also talking about spiritual things, right? 
These are the kinds of people that need to be at our table. The people that need to be at the table. Not that we all don't need to be at the table. We all need to be. But that table, the table in the kingdom of God is big. (laughs) And there needs to be a lot of people around it. And I think so many times we think the table is just for us. And it is. But it's made for so much more than that. And it's such a big table. So I got this story I want to tell you guys. Um, I was down at a youth conference in Atlanta. I want to say it was about a decade ago. I think it was even before I was on staff at Northside. All right? And it was a youth conference. Uh, if you guys have ever been to Atlanta, Atlanta kind of has this little hub over by where it's where the BMW Stadium is now. Not BMW Stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I got my car companies mixed up. <laughs> the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is like one of the nicest stadiums like in the world now. It used to be the Georgia Dome. And the Georgia Dome sits next to Phillips Arena, which is like where the Hawks play. And then that sits next to Atlanta's Convention Center, which is this massive, massive complex. And then that all is connected to CNN Plaza, they call it. It's the world headquarters of CNN. And so CNN Plaza is actually connected to all of these things via tunnels and via streets, and it's just real easy to get to it. And in the bottom floor of this building is this huge food court, okay? It's got a Starbucks, it's got a Chick-fil-A, woo-woo, okay? It's got all these, you know, fast food places and places to eat, a Mexican restaurant, um, burger, I think it's got like a Burger Fi, it's like a big popular burger chain. And so every time we'd have a break at this youth conference, which was in the convention center, we'd walk over into this CNN plaza, and we'd go there and we'd get lunch at lunch break. And anytime you go to a big city, there's going to be panhandlers, beggars, right? They're going to be asking for money. They need money for bus fare. They need, they need money for this or money for that. And ye- if you're like me, you're always kind of like very quick to be like, ah, no, I'm good. I don't have any cash. But like you walk away and there's like something in you that's like, ah, I wish I could have done more than that, you know? So set the scene. You have probably three to 4,000 youth pastors and their teams at this conference walking by this field of people every day. These people stand on the corner. Hey, can I get a dollar for a bus fare? Hey, can I get this for this? I'm hungry. Can, they, can I get money for breakfast? All these things. And I know that a lot of our reactions sometimes is, well, I don't know where that money's going, so I'm going to say, hey, why don't you come with us? And so I know for me and my group that went, we were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. If someone asks us, we're going to say, come with us and we'll get you something. And so we leave that morning, go down, and there's no more, there's no more beggars anywhere. And we're like, what? Where did they all go? Did they just give up? Because we all are like, no. And they're like stupid Christians. And they just like gave up. Well, lo and behold, we walk in. And the CNN Plaza is filled with a bunch of youth pastors sitting at tables, with tables pulled up, with homeless people sitting amongst them with stacks of food in front of them. Like, it's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It was like somehow through God's spirit, God put on the heart of everyone at that conference, no, here's the solution. Why don't you just invite them to your table? And so we walk into this massive CNN Plaza with this giant, like it's open. So you can see way up, like 20 or 30 stories. And you can see all the studios where they film all the CNN stuff. This massive building. And you have this perfect image of everything Christ asks us to do in the middle of this giant food court. Needs being met because we invited the people who were different than us 
to our tables. And I'm talking like mounds of food. It was like they all, it's like everyone shipped them like five bucks each, and they just said, okay, whatever this can buy, we're going to let them buy it. And so later we would see these men and these women standing outside with bags of food sitting at their feet when they weren't begging because they'd taken leftovers. <laughs> and that became a norm for the rest of that conference. And it's just something that sticks with me to this very day when I think about this very thing. Who am I inviting to my table? Who is sitting with me and sharing our meal? And, and it's not about just maybe just being in our homes, but it's also talking about this building. It's talking about this group of people. Because obviously the church isn't a building. The building here that we sometimes call the church is where the church gathers, right? We are the church. Messy and as diverse as we are, we are the church. And we can invite people in here every week to our table. So, the story of Matthew being called into ministry is in three different Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? And, it, and it's, it's pretty much the same across every one of them, okay? We have this, the scene that we just saw is on the same thing. Matthew, he, Jesus goes to Matthew, says, follow me. He goes, okay. He follows them. They go back and have a meal where all these people are invited, and the Pharisees come along, and they say, why are all these people here? And Jesus says, well, the, the healthy don't need an invitation. The sick do, okay? The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And we see that play out the same way across all three of the Gospels that it's referenced in. However, Matthew has one extra little nugget that I want to spend the rest of my time on today. Verse 13, Jesus says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, and he says this to the Pharisees, right? So I want to break this down for us. Sacrifice, in this context, means observance of religious ritual. So he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice means observance of religious ritual. And mercy is actually... Uh, the Greek word, I think it's hesed, H-E-S-E-D, which means a steadfast love or caring for the sinner like Jesus would. So it would have been used as caring for the sinner like I am. Okay? So he says, I desire steadfast love and caring for the sinners like I would, not the observance of the religious Ritual, easy for me to say. So, like, think about that. That's a bold statement. That's a direct quote from Christ. I observe you to love like I love over your religious ritual. So here's my big question today. Is your religion getting in the way of your love? And I, and I will even rephrase that. Is my religion getting in the way of my love? Is our religion getting in the way of our love? Because you see, the Pharisees were all about that. They were about their rituals. They were all about all their rules and their regulations and all the things that we had to do and we can't, oh, we can't pluck grain on Sunday or we're all sinning. We can't do this and we're all sinning. We can't do that. 
And yet they were literally saying these things to Jesus. <laughs> God was skin on. And so Jesus is saying to them, the religious stuff is great. The ritual is great. But I want you to love. I desire you to love more than going through the rules and the regulations. And I think sometimes in, in our faith, we can, we can say a lot of good stuff. But I know the challenge for me and the challenge I lay before all of you this morning is, but can we act them out? Can we put the talk into the walk, you know? Can we, can we make that work out? Because I see so many times that we as Christians are so judgmental of non-believers because they act like non-believers, right? We, we're just so judgmental of people that don't know any better. And like Jesus is saying, I need you to tell them. I need you to tell them what it looks like. I need you to show them what it looks like by inviting them to the table. I need you to be that example. Because we're never going to change people by telling them they're wrong. Now, I think, I think in our day today, we've, um, we've kind of got this wrong in a bit. Like Jesus never says compromise truth. Jesus never says stop being who I call you to be to go reach these people. I think we're getting that a little bit mixed up today where we, we start acting like non-believers a little bit to try to win non-believers. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus never says, I need you to compromise the table to invite people to it. He says, I just need you to peop- I just need y'all people to invite others to it. And, they, and you don't have to agree with them, but they need the invitation. And so here's where I want to kind of land on. Maybe these people that we disagree with so much, maybe these people that we see living kind of off the cuff and just crazy, because we all know it's a crazy world right now, right? It's always been a crazy world, but it seems like a little crazier, you know? Maybe they just need an invitation, you know? It worked for Matthew. (laughs) It worked for Matthew's friends, right? And so Jesus blazes the trail for us in this example, So I want to ask you these two questions, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier. Who is despised in your life that needs to be seen? Think about how you go through the days and where you go. Your family, your work, the places you hit, the Starbucks line, the the smoothie line, the, the grocery store checkout, the Chipotle line, any of the places we mentioned that we'd like to eat. Who is despised that needs to be seen? And two, who is rejected that needs to be let? Because those are the very two things that Christ exampled through Matthew and through that story that is the same calling to us today. So who in your life needs an invitation? Think about this. Who, who's burnt out on church? I know there's a lot of people out there that are burnt out on church right now. They don't think that anything we have to say here is anything that can even help them. The truth somehow is objective or it's my truth. And they, they've given themselves over to that more than God's truth. So who, maybe who's burnt out on church? Who's given up on God? I'm sure every single one of us knows someone who's just given up on God. They just went, yeah, that's, that, he's not for me. I don't know if I can believe that. Right? Who is the last person you would ever dream about seeing sitting in? 
I know I say that and instantly like a list of names pops up in my head. Who is the last person that we would ever dream about seeing sitting in one of these chairs? They need the invitation. A lot of times we always say, you know, God, why, why is the world going this way? Why, why aren't these people coming into church? Why, why aren't you fixing it, God? And the, and the, the scary thing, because I, 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 I get anxiety thinking about this, is like God's solution to fix the world is us. <laughs> it's kind of what we signed up for. God's solution to fix this world is through the church. And he's like, I'm going to give you all the tools. I'm going to give you everything you need to invite people to that table. But you just got to make the invitation. So good news. <laughs> Easter's right around the corner. Our most powerful observance in our faith is in two weeks. And it is also the most likely time that anyone would ever come and visit or attend a church. Amazing, huh? So I want to challenge you guys today. Easter is an easy inroad to make an invitation to. And, and I don't say this from the fact of like, oh, we want to see 200 people here. That doesn't matter. <laughs> I want to see someone walk in that door who needs to be invited to the table that can eternally change their lives. If it's one person, if it's two people, whatever. This is what we're here for. So on your outlines, if you happen to grab it today, or even if just in your head, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think of a name, a name of one person that maybe isn't sitting around this table, maybe doesn't even know that table exists, who you could invite with you on Easter. And if you want to invite them next week, great. <laughs> if Easter doesn't work out and you want to invite them the next week, great. Not necessarily just about Easter. Easter just makes it a little bit of an easier on-ramp. But who is that name? Who is that one name where you can just be like, ah, I feel like I just need to invite them. And I want to challenge you guys to invite them we got this whole system of stuff working behind us. <laughs> we think we're out here on our own. But that Holy Spirit's working, right? And if we believe that, we know we can step out in that faith and he's going to be right there behind us, ready to back us up. So who is that name? And do they need to be invited to that table? They might be despised. They might have been rejected they are welcome at God's table. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. God, I, I just pray that whatever names might be in our minds right now, and maybe, maybe it's multiple names, maybe it's just one name, maybe we're still trying to figure out that name. God, I, I give those up to you. God, I pray over those names, whoever they might be. that maybe something starts stirring in their hearts. That maybe you make that ground fertile for that invitation to happen. And God, at the same time, I, I, I lift up these people sitting in front of me today or who, anyone who hears this message online or whatever. 
I pray for our courage. I pray for the, the pushing aside of anxiety or fear or doubt to allow us to make that invitation happen. God, this table that we have looks great. But it's going to look even better when some of those names are around it. And then the names that they have in their heads of people that need to be here and so on and so forth. God, we just pray for all of that. God, may we find ourselves at your feet this morning. And may we live our lives closer to your son every day. Because it is in his name alone that we do all these things. Amen.